How'd your day go? Uh, you know, my day went well. It was just, uh, it was a pretty typical day. Um, you know, I don't know. I gotta get off my phone. I deleted Instagram and TikTok just because I feel like it's just too easy, you know? Yeah. It, YouTube is one thing, I feel like. Because YouTube, if I watch a video on YouTube, it's typically, like... I don't even know how to categorize it because it's not like it's a sermon always. Sometimes it is. That's where I will like listen to different sermons and stuff will be on there. But <clears throat> it'll be like Christian YouTubers talking about certain topics or like watching. I don't know. It'll be really random, but it's usually something that's in the realm of faith-based conversation. Yeah. Um, which even then I've kind of realized that like it can that can just become just entertainment and like it's just I have to be careful where it's like okay well yeah I guess it is good it's a Christian talking about something going on in the world or or maybe something going on in the world of science or the world of I don't know whatever that's happening and it's talking from a biblical perspective which is great and I've I've had like so much that I've learned from watching YouTube videos of just I've different Christian like um, different Christian scientists and mathematicians and and other people like that who are just talking about I don't know different stuff going on in that realm of things and it's helped like one just because I find it super interesting but two it's also it's it's nice because there's all these big questions that you think like the general questions that a person will ask you when you say that you hold to a like biblical worldview, quote unquote. And like the typical, like, okay, so do you believe in evolution? It's like, okay, well, why, why not? Why, what do you like? You know, and I'm interested, like, I don't want to have a, like, I don't want to have blind faith, you know? Yeah. Cause it's, it's weird. I think people do really get confused on what faith even is. They think faith is just like in the absence of facts and evidence, you just believe it just cause, you know, which is just not, that's just not what it is, you know? Um, and the more that I do research and the more that I listen to people who are smarter than me on both, uh, both sides of the aisle, atheist, uh, and otherwise, you know, um, it's just like, okay. So far, all the evidence that has been presented to me seems to point in one direction. And uh, that direction seems to be that there is a God. And when I look at the options that I have laid in front of me of the different versions of God that these religions offer me, the one that makes the most sense to me and seems the most not man-made up is the one from the Bible. Um. And it's nice because I feel like then when I get into conversations with people, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's been nice because I've had conversations with people where I've used a lot of this information that I've just learned. And, um, so it is really beneficial and, and that is great, you know, and I don't knock anybody for doing that, but sometimes you can get into this zone where it's like, it just is entertainment at some points where it's like, I'm just watching it just to zone out and get through my work day. Yeah. You know, and I'm and I'm still using. It's still a distraction now because now I'm not engaging with God, and it's like I'm not talking to Him while I'm watching or talking to Him after a video. I've started to think that okay, if I am going to watch videos, then maybe once one is done, just talk about it for a minute with Him. You know, just talk about what I what my thoughts were and what my prayers were. Pray for the people involved, whatever you know. 
Yeah. Instead of just like you've watched seven videos back to back to back and it's like, okay, maybe those are all good videos and you were learning worthwhile things, but it can still be something that's keeping me from my own personal conversational relationship with God. And especially um, because I've been listening to your sermon series on Philippians and like, it's just like prayer, prayer, prayer. That's just what it is. Yeah. And which has kind of been the thing that we've been talking about, you know, we've been, we've been going through this whole, that's what, what this episode is about. And this is what the last few episodes are about. And, um, and it's been a big part of, I feel like over the last few years, I've, I've had, I've been rediscovering my faith and rediscovering like, okay, prayer, pray and read the Bible. I've heard that my entire life. What does that actually mean? Why should I do it? What is the purpose of it? What does it look like to do that? Um, and I, I, I still feel like, I don't know, it's tough. It's tough to start still. You know, which is bothersome to me because I have spent many hours in prayer and have been unbelievably rewarded for it in ways that it's just, it's like nothing else and nothing else has ever done the good for me that sitting in in time in prayer and meditation has done for me. And yet I still struggle to start and like I still procrastinate it and would rather just go watch a YouTube video or something because it's easier and it's instant gratification. It's like uh, I don't I can just turn off my brain a little bit and like I can especially especially when listening to you talk through Philippians and I'm and I'm seeing how much Paul is praying for other people and it's like I'm already struggling to pray and now you, now you want me to pray for others <laughs> and it's like I'm even no not to I mean I wish this wasn't the case but I'm even less interested <laughs> in that you know it was one thing when I was talking about stuff that I was like important to me in my life and now you already go pray for someone else's life and I'm not even that invested in what's happening which has really made me think like boy I need to become more invested in these people's lives so I have more to pray about for these people but um yeah but then i mean you realize it's a it's a lifelong pursuit of it's not like you know you're ever in one sense going to arrive at a place where you know like you're not going to have to learn something about it or grow in it or your understanding of it i mean that's kind of a an ongoing pursuit for us but it and that's why philippians is great because in chapter 2 he's going to get into the example of Christ right but he's building to that and if we have that kind of attitude in ourselves that Christ had that selfless giving of self right giving up all rights and so on for the sake of others it it makes those other things easier then right and we start doing that but it you know but will we ever come to a point where we're completely fully Christ like in this life no so, it's so, frustrating, we, so we know that the the pursuit is ongoing, but that keeps us striving, right? I mean, if it doesn't allow us to remain content at any point in well, our life. Here's the part that bothers me is that, like, that's where the faith plays in. It's like, listen, I am confident. I Not only is does the evidence all point in a direction, in one direction, 
from what I can see, you know, and I'm open to seeing new evidence. I would love to see more evidence because I believe that with every bit of evidence that I see, it'll continue to point me in this direction. I have that confidence in it. But because of that, <clears throat> and also seeing the way that God has worked in my life through my own personal relationship with him, it builds my confidence in just like, listen, I, even in the parts and areas where I don't have understanding and I haven't connected the dots and certain things don't fully make sense to me, I'm going to have faith through that because I know that if I continue to, you know, dig into those issues, the dots will connect. You know, maybe I don't see it now, but they will at some point. I know they will because it, so far the track record is they always have. Yeah. Um, which makes me frustrated because I know that when I get when I go to heaven and when I get a, for eternity I will and we are at this place of perfection you know yeah. and we are at this place where we are fully selfless it will it will feel the most amazing yeah you know, to a thing that we can't even, I can't even wrap my head around. And I, and I believe that wholeheartedly to be true. I believe that that is what it will be like. And, and yet I can get it like, why would I not just strive with all of my being to get as close to that now as I can? Why would I not want to, to live? I mean, like, if I'm going to heaven, then this time on earth is the closest to hell I ever get. So why would I not want to make this time in hell as much like heaven as I possibly can? When I know that living that way will be the most gratifying, the best, the most joyful, the most fulfilling, the most peaceful, the most everything, you know? So yeah. that's just what frustrates me sometimes is like... But it's having... I mentally it, agree, but... It's having that hope, though, right? And that's that certain hope that we have <clears throat> is what keeps us from getting. So, I mean, you look at, say, the Mount of Transfiguration. Christ goes up there with the disciples, the three, Peter, James, and John. They go up on Mount of Transfiguration. They get a taste of what it's going to be like, right? And Peter wants to stay there, but Jesus is like, there's there's stuff to be done. So they go down from the mountain. They're back down the valley where there's doubt and you know, weak faith and all of this stuff going on. They walk right in the midst of, you know, turmoil. And it's just that that reminder for us. He gives us that taste, and we, we know the hope that we have. And at the same time, we know we need to go down in that valley, but we know we're not going to stay there forever. Nor, nor are we going to ever, in that point, do we, do we need to throw our hands up and say, give up trying? No, because we know what's going to come in the end. So we have every reason to keep striving, every reason to mm -hmm. keep trying. It's just that if it, what Satan wants to do is to cause us to doubt and question and, you know, and start to, to wonder if we should even bother trying to do it anymore, right? Sort of that defeatist mindset of... But that's the reason for the hope. It just keeps pushing us forward, and it keeps giving us something to strive for. And it, it and the nice thing about it is that it isn't this sort of wishful thinking that the world has, but we know for certain that it will be. And so, therefore, 
you know, there are going to be times where we get frustrated in our walk and, and, and in some ways it's a good thing because we're being challenged. We're, we're not going to get to a point in our life where we're going to be content and say, okay, this is it. When we keep seeing that there's more, more to keep striving towards. And that's a good thing for us. Hmm. Well, but when you realize that the world in which we live in, we're constantly bombarded by that immediate gratification of everything. And and yeah. we're programmed at every turn, right? And especially with the Internet and the access that we have to everything. It's like, you know, ask questions. You, you have a question about something. Well, back in the day, you used to just, you search for it, right? You went to the library, you look through, you know, whatever resources you had there to try and find answers to the question or you went and asked somebody who you know might be in a certain field that this question has to deal with and ask them and see if you can gain an answer from it but now you can just google it and and with seconds now you have an answer to everything essentially seeming to be right that's assuming that what you read is true but we live in that day and age where everything is immediate and and there's no sense of reality in that, you know, because yeah. that isn't really life. But you have now a whole entire generation programmed into the sense of need for immediate gratification on everything. And if it doesn't give an immediate payout, then they're not going to waste their time with it. And that's yeah. just completely destructive. Well, and it's it's weird because you see it, you see it infiltrating, like, I think that's why to some extent you have such extreme political sides too, where it's like in, especially permeating in the youth, whether it's extreme right or extreme left is that a more moderate middle approach is a long process because the problem is, is that making changes and slight adjustments and stuff to a system that is this big it takes time it takes years of letting a new we put a new thing in place okay let's see how this works we have to give it a few years now to see what the results are going to be and if the results are good sweet well then let's keep progressing that way the results are bad okay hold on let's pull back we're gonna have to change this and now try something new and then we have to wait a few more years to see if that works but I think people are so drawn to an extreme side one or the other because they want immediate result. They want immediate things to be different. Yeah. You know, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe you're getting immediate change, but the problem is you're going have, you're having to go so hard one way or the other to get immediate change that you're guaranteeing that you're going to go like but here's the thing, that immediate change Way off the rails. That immediate change isn't going to last. Right? No. I mean you no. you look at politics even now. They'll they'll have someone come in and say, Okay, as soon as I step in office, this is what I'm gonna do. Right? But it's not it's not setting up something for longevity's sake. So what they do is they just throw a whole bunch of money at it. Okay, we're gonna throw billions at this and billions at that. Well, guess what the long run game is going to be is us having to pay off that debt. <laughs> and it's like so immediately it looks like it's it's being handled. But in the long run, you're going to be paying for that impulsive decision 
for years and years to come and generations to come in a lot of cases when instead it should be okay let's look at the long haul let's look at actually handling this thing correctly it's not about throwing money at everything but it's about putting rules and guidelines in place that will carry us for years to come but that's not the mentality of things anymore I mean, it's no. just insane. The amount of money that gets thrown at things that, and it doesn't accomplish anything at all. I mean, I'm watching, you know, what's his name, Gavin Newsom in California, and they're cleaning up San Francisco now, which sat for years. People complained living there that it's a cesspool and it's a mess and you need to clean it up and all of that, and they've done nothing. But now that they have certain delegates coming from another country, they got, you know, tons of money wrapped up in this trying to get the streets clean and everyone out of there so it looks nice when they come. But what's going to happen when those people go? It's going to go back to the same old thing because there's nothing being put in place that's going to be lasting. It's just immediate quick fix. Mm. So you're slapping Band-Aids on everything. And it might go worse. You know, that's the thing is, I, and I don't know if this is true, but... A truth to personal individuals' lives is that the relapse is always worse. Yeah. It's always, always worse. You always relapse harder than and farther down the pole than you were before. Yeah. And I wonder if that applies to something like this, too, where when... When the when the dam breaks and the Band-Aid isn't patching it up anymore, if the wound by that point will be even worse, you know, yeah. than it was before you started these these little things to try to get it done now. Which, hey, listen, guys, listen, I know that political hot takes coming from the May God Help Us podcast, you know, we decided that we're going to start doing a political segment of the week we're going to do news and we're going to be giving our our hot takes on especially going into the new elections coming up and um we're going to divulge from the theological talk and we're going to start talking mostly politics behind the pulpit i saw an amazing clip please the other day (laughs) now i saw this dude i I saw this just it was amazing when i say amazing i mean terrifying but it was this pastor I follow these accounts, um, like bad. I follow this one account called like Bad Sermons, and there'll just be clips of these pastors, usually IFB pastors, you know. So, um, you know, big shocker there. Yeah. Uh, but it was this guy talking about how he was like, he he said, I think, and listen, it's been a few weeks, maybe even a month or so since I've seen the clip, so I can't say fully verbatim this is what he said, but I'm pretty sure verbatim this is what he said more or less. That, like, he's talking about the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, one of the two. I think it was the Constitution, maybe, and he or, or one of the two. And he was like... He's like, honestly, some of y'all should just put down your Bibles and just take some time to read through this because this is like, this has got some truths in it. And was like, but he he was almost, the way he was talking about it is he was putting the, in the Declaration of Independence or the Constitution, one of the two, on the same level as Scripture, basically. <laughs> it was like, and, and like, it was almost like he was just doing a sermon about on the Declaration of Independence. 
Wow. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what you love to see. You know oh, I mean? yeah. I just love that. I got to love that. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, gra- the- granted, I mean, but they don't even realize that, you know, even some of the founding fathers, they were deists, not even solid in their, you know, theistic view yeah. of the world. So it's like not everything yeah. they said was great. It's the best system that man could come up with. But it's yeah. still a man-made system. So it also has its flaws. Like we looked at Ecclesiastes, right? You can have these, you know, different branches and so on. and provides, you know, checks and balances. But it also provides opportunity for covering for for one another, right? Because now we 100%. find these different departments covering for this one to cover for that one to cover for the other. And yeah. it just yeah. runs from the top down. So... There's some pluses to it. It's better than anarchy, but at the same time, the ultimate kingdom is when the Messiah returns. That's that's Bro, the kingdom that's, that, that we're looking thing. for. I was having I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and they were asking me why. They were like, "Why, why do you believe? The, like, why the Bible? Why do? You, why is that your religion of choice? Like, why is that what you've? Why are you so sure that?" That's the word of God. And I was like, and I just read the opening. I read them the opening, um, like, ten verses from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Yeah. And I was like, well, listen to this. I was like, this isn't man thought up. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is so opposite. <laughs> I was like, this is so opposite to how we think. People don't think like this. Blessed are the, blessed are the, are the ones who mourn. Yeah. Blessed are the blessed are the the gentle, for they shall inherit the gentle shall inherit the earth. I was like, I'm pretty sure it was conquer. We've yeah. been conquering. Who's got the strongest military? Who's got the most money, power? This, those are the ones who. If you really wanted, if it was a man who wrote that, is like, blessed are the ones with a great economy. <laughs> yeah, blessed are the ones <laughs> who have made the right deals with other countries. You know what I mean? It's like. It's so it's so counter, and that's what gives me so much faith. Like, I, like I don't, you know. For me, the more and more that I've I've seen, I've listened to people talk about the world and creation and science and whatever. I'm just like, okay, it seems like undisputable that there has to be a creator. There has yeah. to be some higher power. And I think that so many people know that, you know, most people know that there has to be a higher power. So it's like, okay, well, I believe that. And then when you ask me to pick which one, it's just, that's what gives me so much confidence in the word and in the Bible is because it's just like, this is not, this is so, so opposite of how we think. Like a man would not write these words. A man would not think these words. You know, because this doesn't gratify us. This doesn't make us the guy. We all want to be the guy. We want to be the, the the hero that saves the story. And it's like that's a works-based thing. Yeah. You know, so when you see it's it's all about first shall be last, last shall be first. And and blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the, the gentle, the low. I'm Christ being lowly in spirit. You know, and it's just like... And what human being would write the things that are written about man, say like Romans 1? I mean, 
it's like to describe man and his depravity, what human being would write that, you know, no. we're too full no. of ourselves to do something like that. It's like, you know, and look at every works based faith out there. It's, it's all about, like you say, it's all about man and how amazing he is and has nothing to do with God at all. And yeah. Yeah, but it's true. I mean, even if you just look at the facts, right, and just looked at what it is observable, I mean, that's the way that God designed it. So, to communicate to man His existence, that He is God, that there is one superior to all of this. But you know that this that there are those who who understand its in, its intelligent design. But they look for the answer to that intelligence design somewhere else. So you know the next move has been towards aliens and that. But that's all. No, a, but the, but that's a part of the system. You can't your your answer that's the thing. for our existence yeah. can't be a part of this system. The ma- that's what that's what that's what I don't understand because even when you push it out to like oh different uh, like the multiverse theory and how there could be a. a whatever it's like okay well you're just you're pushing the problem to just a different dimension and it's like okay that's still where did that dimension come from where did these things matter energy those things where did they come from so it doesn't matter how many years you say it doesn't matter how many universes you say it they just keep piling on how many right but it's like but you still can't answer the question of origin right you can't answer the question of origin it's hilarious is you have this whole like they have the whole claim that christians just use god to fill the gaps it's like okay, in the places where there isn't, they're like, oh yeah, well you're just you're just when, when we don't know, you're just saying God. But then you have all these people who say that, yeah. But then they use time, and yeah. it's like, oh okay, well it was just coming, but like within billions and billions of years, it must have been able to evolve from a single-celled organism to this, which. We are now discovering through science that that is just physically impossible. Yeah. Impossible for that to happen because the amount of mutations that it would take to finally get one that would change one organism into a completely different organism, the the, the original organism would be long dead. Yeah. Long dead before you finally got to one. So no matter how much time you have, because it's the thing is, is that you only have... Like, you don't have a lot of time. You have a very little amount of time of that organism's lifespan before it dies. And the amount of, you know, whatever. And you could look into it on your own time, obviously. But it's just, it's insane that, like, there's... But really, it's it's it takes more faith to believe that than it does to... Yes. To believe the truth or, or is if, Or if anything, it's if like, anything, yeah. if anything, just as much faith. Yeah. Like, I think it takes more, but if anything, if we're being just honest and I'll give throw people the bone, it takes just as much faith to believe the other. But but that's the, but that's deviate, but that's wanna. the difference though. It's that you're you're is though somehow people are led to think that this is an issue of science versus faith. 
No, it, it's an no. issue of faith on both sides. It's just a matter of yeah. where you place your, you faith, your faith in man and yeah, 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 man right. and his deception or in God and the truth. I mean, and it just boils down to that. Well, listen, this is a <clears throat> this is a very interesting conversation that I am. <clears throat> I will, you know, I I'm very excited to see what we go into next in the podcasts to come. But I, f- I do feel it is probably important that we finally like get to the Lord's prayer <laughs> because we've been saying that for like three weeks now and we just keep not doing it. And so like, I, I don't I want to make sure that we actually get to that. So we can kind of like at least vaguely like, not that we're going to button up prayer and have it all res- like talked out at the end of this episode, but. No, but this is I'm good sure it, because it's going to keep going, but because you know we talked about the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel happens in mm-hmm. a context where it deals with kingdoms in conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, mm-hmm. and in the midst of that, we are given the Lord instructing the disciples on how to pray, and understanding that context is crucial, right? Because you, one is you understand just like ephesians the the spiritual conflict that is at hand right this isn't merely an issue of um you know one man's system against another man's system ultimately what lies behind all of this is the fact that you have the kingdom of god at war against kingdom of satan we know who wins right but we have to acknowledge that the reality of that fight that battle yeah and I think that that's something is, too that we don't, as believers in the church, we don't, we don't grasp that enough, right? We're too busy trying to seek to placate ourselves in the moment, in the now, in the life that we're in, and and still seeking that that comfort as opposed to realize that we're in the midst of a war. Mm. Because you yeah. have Paul tell Timothy, you know, fight the good fight, war the good warfare, right? And so, therefore, there are things that we need to be doing. Same thing with Philippians, right? That there are enemies out there. They're seeking to bring an end to us. I mean, we see this in all the protests that are happening in that. So there is a conflict that is happening, and it lies behind what we see but unfortunately, not all believers recognize that fact. And therefore, for them to then give the time to prayer that they should give, that's a part of the struggle, right? Is not realizing the necessity of it. Well, I, th- I think that's, that, that's a, it's a very scary part uh, that, like, we've almost we've started to lose that. And in some areas of Christianity, I feel like we've completely lost it. Yeah. Where... And what kind of started me on this on this journey? It was I, I brought this up before, but Michael Heiser's Doctor Michael Heiser's book, The Unseen Realm, which I don't agree with everything he says, um, but there, but but there's a lot of what he says that is, if anything, really interesting to think about. And I think his intentions and his motivations for what he is doing, what his writings are, are really good. Where he wants people to read the Bible from a different perspective, the perspective being that we live in a spiritual, like, world. Yeah. And, you know, even though we can't see it, which is, 
the, which is the main thing that I feel like we lost with the fall is that now the spiritual realm has been closed off to us in the sense that we don't see it anymore. You know? Yeah. That we are now, we've chosen to not want to be a part of that, to want to be our own kings, our own masters. And so now we are forced to just, okay, well then if you want to do it all on your own, then here you're, you're left to this world then. This is your world. This is your domain. But we've, we've not only kind of forgotten, it's not only easy to forget because it is not the scene, it is the unseen, but on top of it, a lot of, it's kind of just left out a lot in a lot of Christian circles and teachings and stuff. Like, obviously, I mean, the devil and the, you know, whatever. It's like, it's, we've heard it, we've said it, you know. But to remember that what what Paul says, you know, we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and whatever. Yeah. I don't know the verses exactly, but... um. Like, we are in a spiritual realm surrounded by spiritual beings, and we are fighting a warfare that is fully spiritual. And even when you see these people, like you just said, these people who are out and against us completely, you're not even, you're not fighting those people. Yeah. Those people are not your enemy. Those people are just people that have been taken by the enemy. You're fighting against the spirit that has taken over them that has caused them to walk the path that they are walking or is that has led them down the path that they are walking. I mean, the cause is obviously they have the choice, but... Yeah, but there's still, you know, so. you know, in Ephesians 2, right, that he's at work in the sons of disobedience, whether they recognize it or not, right? It's realizing yeah. that there is that, that force that exists, and so... You know, but part of it is just it, it comes from two sides. You you have the world who's that's naturalistic in its explanation of our existence and everything else, right? It rained, it poured, it's never, you know, God sent the rain, what have you. Where in reading scripture, especially the Old Testament and Psalms, it's always God in control of those things. We have all the natural explanations for those things. But then you take within the context of the church where you have this over-sensationalized spiritualism, right? You have those in the church then who are more conservative. Their idea of fighting against that is to stop talking about the spiritual aspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like they don't like not don't talk about the anointing of the spirit, those kinds of things. Why? Because those terms are used in a wrong way by some. And, and so the answer is, well, we swing the pendulum way the other way. And we just don't even use the terms at all. Or don't talk about it. Well, did it happen? Is it biblically true? Yes. Okay, then. So why don't we use that terminology and talk about it, right? But we're afraid that yeah. in using those words, then we might get placed into a certain theological camp that we don't want to be Category put in. And so therefore, yeah. but it's like, okay, so then, Give it its biblical definition, use it that way, and explain it to people that way, so they they know and understand how Scripture uses it, how it's meant to be understood. But to just ignore it and delete it from our conversation and our way of thinking is completely incorrect, right? Because now we're denying a reality of of something that is, yeah, right. And how yeah. many times are we challenged to do the things that we ought to do based on the is? This is who you are. This is what God has done. This is what is happening. This is the reality of the Spirit working in your life. This is, therefore, you ought to do this. 
And so I think that there are ways in which it's not just the world itself, but how we handle things within the church that have an influence on us and how well, we... And it, and it, like you said, it affects... That's where I think... I, th- I think that there are... There are two... In my, in my experience, there are two different Christians. Not to narrow it down so, so much, because there obviously are people that are outside of this, but there are the Christians who are really good at praying and not good at reading their Bible. And there are the Christians who are really good at reading their Bible and are not good at praying. Yeah. You know, and, and obviously there are Christians who are bad at both and there are Christians who are great at both. And, you know, um, uh, you know, but I, I think that there is that where like the people who are a little like the bot reading the Bible, that's straightforward to some people. It's like, Oh, read the thing. It tells me what to do. Do that. You know, yeah. and then prayer loses them a bit more because they're like, well, why am I talking? Like, what am I? What God already knows all the things that I'm thinking. So what's the point of this? You know. And, so they're um, stuck in. They're stuck in. Like, if you take the book of Ephesians, right? The first three chapters are theological, right? This is who we are in Christ. The second three are okay. This is how you live out your life. So you have one kind of believer who likes chapters 4 through 6. Give me the pragmatics. Tell me what to do, right? But they don't want to spend time thinking about the abstract, the things that are, right? The spiritual realities of that drive what we do. They just, they're they're practical. But then you have those who are on, on the other side, and they go, okay, I'm all about the thinking about what's in the abstract, one through three, and I like pondering these things but haven't really worked on the aspect of putting into practice. We need both, right? Which means that we are always being called to walk that fine line of truth, whether it's, you know, this church is really loving, but they're not so strong in their doctrine. This church is really strong on doctrine, but they're not so loving. And we're supposed to be, <laughs> we're supposed to be both, yeah. right? <laughs> Same thing with reading and prayer, right? We're supposed to be doing yeah. both. That's walking the fine line of truth. We're supposed to be thinking about these deep theological truths and understand them, and then walk in light of them. We need to do both of them. So you can't just, you know. But we have a tendency. It, it's like you know, I heard the reference to trying like a drunk peasant trying to stay on a donkey. We fall to one side or the other. So the advice was, yeah. well, maybe the peasant needs to stop drinking. But that's the first. That's, <laughs> that's the first part of the solution. <laughs> the second part is right. That's a, that's something that you're like you're like. <laughs> that's like some like it's like a grandpa quote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like an old man. <laughs> like he's already he's made like that's like the the. Someone who says that, he's already made, like, four inappropriate comments to his, like, grandchildren that are way too young, you know? And then he finally, that's, like, the one appropriate one that he could make. And it's still about alcoholism, you know? So it's still a little bit like, okay, Graham, he's, like, five, you know? You don't need to talk about this. But but I like that. I like that analogy. But it's finding it's finding that, that I don't, I don't I, like, I'm... These days I'm shying away from saying finding the balance, right? Because oftentimes that leads one to the conclusion that it's just taking a little bit of each, right, and finding what works for you. And that's not what it is either, but it is walking that fine line of truth. And and it's making sure that you stay on that in every aspect of, of your life as a believer and as a, also as the church, right? But that, that takes work. Yeah. It takes work. But this is why we need prayer, right? 
but you, the focus well, and again, <clears throat> the focus of the Lord's prayer first thing we're supposed to do is seek what his glory and honor which you're not going to be able to do without both exactly you know which I, let's we might as well we might as well break into that because what I was going to say too is just it was just like I think that's where the lack of the fact that we've almost left the spiritual aspect of yeah. of life to the side in certain parts of Christianity, which almost makes prayer hard to fully understand because prayer is so <clears throat> it's easy to kind of understand the Bible to some extent where it's like okay this is the rule book I do the things it says. And it's like, yeah, that is true. But then the spiritual, you're communing with the spirit. You know, that's what prayer is about. You know, and so if you have kind of lost sight of the spiritual aspect of it. Well, you know, it's, it's like all about, Paul says that in Ephesians, right, that we are to pray in the spirit. Therefore, he must, he in, involved in that isn't just merely like Romans 8 where he intercedes on our behalf. That's That's his part. He does, but... In that passage, we're commanded to pray in the Spirit. In other words, we are guided by Him, we are directed by Him. And it's interesting that if you look at, just in the New Testament, the description of what it looks like to be filled in the Spirit and what it looks like to be filled in the Word of God, the results are exactly the same, which tells you something, mm. right? Mm. But the Lord's Prayer is amazing that He gives the disciples because there's there there is this amazing reality that he brings to our attention right off the bat right because he says father hallowed be your name right so we have father we have intimacy right but we also have reverence and awe and that's a beautiful tension that he brings well, us and to my question first that. to you first of all before we hop into this which why you said last week or last episode that you were going to go through Luke. Why do you choose Luke over Matthew? Because when I look at the book, I've read both of them, and Matthew seems to be the one that, like, there are things said in Matthew in the prayer that aren't said in Luke. So why do you choose Luke? Well, for the simple fact of that in Luke, he, he presents it in a section dealing with the kingdoms in conflict, Right. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right, is one of the first things that are addressed in the prayer, right? And so... Well, that's that's for, what's addressed in Matthew as well, though. For me, it's it's the overall context because there's the more immediate, tangible aspect that the disciples are facing with the impact of Satan, driving out demons, all of that stuff is going mm -hmm. on in those chapters. Mm -hmm. They're being sent out now as the 70 to proclaim the kingdom of God, right, is at hand. There is that immediacy of the kingdom. In other words, that there is this aspect of already and not yet, that the kingdom is now in the spiritual sense, but there is going to be then the manifestation of it physically when Christ returns and sets his kingdom up here on earth. And so there provides for us this aspect of life that is in a, in a grand way, right? This is a supernatural universe that the conflict is now, it's tangible, it's in life we're facing it, and this is how you need to pray in light of all of that. Matthew, yes, that there is that, that spiritual aspect, but not to the degree that, 
that Luke lays it out for us in his gospel. And so for me, that's just where I go. But it's not to dismiss the other. Every Each author had their intent of why they were doing it. And so for me, it was always intriguing at how Luke presented it where he did in the context of what was happening. See, I can, I can, I can definitely. Now that you, now that you explain that, I can see what you're saying. The only reason I, I, I've, make I partly because I've spent more time in Matthew than I have in Luke. I've only, yeah. I just started going through Luke just because Luke is just like, he was all the parables are in Luke, and I figured, you know, I might as well spend some time just like learning the teachings of Christ, especially through the parables. Um, but I did just because I had spent a bit of time in five through seven of Matthew, which is the Sermon on the Mount, which is where his talking about the prayer comes in. Yeah. Um, there are lines that are in the prayer in what Christ says about praying that aren't in Luke and um which it doesn't again, doesn't change. That's the thing. Like, I know some people will be like, Oh, this is a contradiction and it's like, well no. No. Because they're not neither of them contradict each other. It's just the one of the lines just didn't stick out to the one guy that was writing one book and it stuck out to the other guy, you know? And that's because there's completely different people, with completely different life's like well, and life Matthew, stories. And Matthew's this, right. You know? Matthew, his gospel's written to Jews, not to Gentiles. Luke's yeah. is written to Gentiles. For the Jews, what the issue was was that there was this externalism, right? And this superficial going through the motions of but no true mm. genuine relationship with right they prayed out in public but they they weren't doing it in private and having that genuine communion with god they were doing it in public to draw people's attention and giving these long lengthy prayers that didn't mean diddly squat and so for matthew that's what he was addressing for luke it was it was a, a different issue right I mean, in one sense, you can boil them both down to that there was this, you know, spiritual conflict, but from different perspectives. One is dealing with the spiritual conflict within the confines of religion. For the Jews, they were religious people, right? I see. And then you have I Luke see. where it's Gentile, and this is in life and what have you. And for these men, oh. they had to realize, look, they come from a Jewish background. It's not about the land so much as it's about fighting the battle that for the makes soul. sense. So that makes so much sense about where this is positioned, too, yeah. is because this is concerning alms and prayer is where Matthew puts it. And it's like, okay, these are religious things that the Jews all would have known about and partaken in. Yeah. But it's the fact that they're partaking in them for the wrong reasons. Yeah. But the Gentiles, that's not their issue. Their issue is, is just that they need to... They need to understand the warfare that's going around them that the Jews have known about. They are just doing what they're doing for the wrong, with the wrong motivation. That makes, it makes a lot more sense understanding that, <clears throat> understanding who they're, who they're writing to and why they would focus in on certain details other than other ones. But, um, so, so it's almost like the, the, the encounter that Jesus has with Nicodemus, right? He needs to be born again, you know? It's like, but, you know, steeped in all of this stuff, it's like this is something you need to be born again. You do, right? Not just Gentiles, but you do. But then with the woman at the well, right, there was something radically different that needed to be addressed there. 
And now there he talks about the fact that we worship not in this mountain, but we worship in spirit and in truth, right? Mm. And so each has their their point that they're making and the significance of that. But like I say, I for mean, which me, is what is which is what is be- so beautiful about how God does what He does is that He meets people where they are. Yep, <laughs> and He's used these people who wrote, which is like. What is so great about the fact that we have multiple versions of the gospel, which they obviously, they do not contradict each other. No. Maybe some talk about certain things that others don't talk about, but because they're writing to different audiences, but God has used that fact yeah. to be able to make different points that it's, it's very interesting because you can read the, this section about prayer in Matthew and get one takeaway. And then you read the same section in Luke, and you'll see a different takeaway than you got from from Matthew. And you're like, oh, I'm reading the same words about the same truths, and yet because of how they wrote it, you're getting two completely different takeaways from it. Both are true. Both are worthwhile. They're just, I don't know, that's just very beautiful how he's covered the full spectrum to meet people where they are. You know, and not just make one blanket statement that say one shoe fits all, you know? Yeah. So when you have, say, in Luke's gospel and he and the Lord, as he teaches him to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Right. So his kingdom come. Well, he's already sent them out the 70 in chapter 10 to proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Okay, but there's an aspect in which it's going to come still. Well, then that tells you that there's a twofold aspect of the kingdom. There's an already and a not yet. Christ reigns in our hearts spiritually now, but when he returns, he will return to the earth, and there will be a physical manifestation of his kingdom, and he will reign, and we will rule with him as a church. And so he's helping them see these truths and gospel writers, the way that they lay these things out for us in their context, right? helps us to to grasp these things but at the same time the principles within the prayers you could walk away and say well there is similarity in both of them in the sense of the order of things that god lays out in in both teachings right there are underlying principles to both of them that that they're the same but then when you look at them in the context in which they're given they have a, a far greater significance Well, to start us off, I guess, I feel like there is, I guess the first question to be answered is, what is Christ saying when he says, in like, pray in this way? Because that's what he says, at least in Matthew, when I'm, I have a Matthew open at the moment, but that's what he says before he starts this section. Yeah. And there are a lot of people, I think especially in Catholicism, um, where they like this they just say this prayer all the time. Yeah, but he didn't this he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't say. say to them, say these words specifically every time you pray. Right? Yeah. Pray right. in this way. In other words, there 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 are like I said, there are underlying principles that are laid out here about prayer. First and foremost, we acknowledge who we're, we're addressing. We seek the glory of God first, not the glory of man. 
when we typically come to the Lord in prayer, it's what? It's asking him for things for our life and for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and has no adoration, right? So that's the point. You come yeah. and you give proper adoration. You praise God, right? Hallowed be your name. However that looks, like like if you go through the Psalms, there's so many different ways in which the psalmist reflects on attributes of God, who he is. There is adoration, and then there is the movement to, okay, then now here are my requests, right, my petition. So you look at the Apostle Paul, praise, then prayer. First he praises God, and this is what he mm-hmm. praises him for. These are the things that he sees a reality in in believers lives and the way that God is working and then he moves to this is my specific petition for you right so Mm -hmm. it follows that pattern so it's the same pattern that Christ gives to the disciples when he tells them to pray and so it's not so repeat this prayer exact same words every time right that you pray no it's it's grasping the principles that are being given here in the process of your prayer Mm mm-hmm Right, because so when someone it, does when someone does come to this, this is this isn't a. This should be looked at as like a rough outline, almost. Yeah. Well, so like look at Ma- is, so look at Matthew's example, right, and and how he uses it. So the the context is about not given to this superficial externalism, but about true spiritual relationship with God. It isn't about you speaking a whole bunch of words in repetition like the Gentiles do, but it's about the way that you pray and how you address God and the, and the principles that are involved in that. So even in Matthew, he makes it abundantly clear that you're not supposed to repeat this prayer, the exact words of it, in this exact way, every time you pray. Otherwise, that would be ritualism. And that would be completely contrary yeah. to what Jesus was trying to say in that passage. So context is important because in that context, it's clear this is not the intent of it, right? Yeah, that's a good. That's a really good point because he does just say that right before. So we come up with things where, like you know acts. So people do this to remember, right? Acronym, you know, adoration, right? Confession, right? Thanks, and then we have supplication or what have you it's different ways that people have done to try and remember the principles that that are laid out in the prayer but that's really what he's getting at is is to follow the 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 principle and and the flow of the prayer not specifically reiterating these words over and over ritualistically all the time because that completely misses the point in either passage for that matter well to start off with that is the one thing that grabs my attention at the beginning is just our father which which like you said before shows the level of intimacy that I think that we sometimes get lost on and and, and you know yeah like i <clears throat> i think there are times where we're like yeah you can, you can like you don't have to use you could call him god lord you know whatever in those realm of, of titles, you know, you don't have to say father, but there is something about that where it's just like, but that is the relationship that we as believers have to him. Yeah. We are children of the King. We are, he is our father. And that is the kind of dynamic that we have. 
And to start off with this, it shows this level of, like, there is this sense of reverence. There is this sense of, and he gets into that. Like, he gets into thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which shows this sense of um, understanding that, like, I don't know, I think it shows us more of a sense of respect and in the sense of his position and in, in his thought and who he is compared to us and our thought. Yeah. But it starts off with our father. It starts off super personal. And you're not just coming, my God. You know, it's not starting my God, my Lord. It is our father. You know, which I think really sets the tone for the kind of relationship we have to God. And then how we should view him when talking to him, you know? And I think that there, you don't want to have, like, a small view of who he is because, you know, you want to give him the respect that is deserved. But at the same time, I do think that we have, like, a fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs says. But not, like... But it's know. not. It's not like you a, almost. Appro- it, you almost. A, you don't want to approach him as if he's someone that you don't that you don't know, and you're yeah. afraid that he's gonna look at you the wrong way, and he's gonna hear you, the words you're saying, and like be, he's gonna be quick to turn on you or something like that. You know, where it's just like, no, 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 this is this is like a child and a father relationship. Like he's looking to give you the benefit of the doubt. He's yeah. looking to hear you out. He wants to hear you out. He wants you to talk to him, you know? He wants this kind of back and forth relationship with you. Yeah. The 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 reason is that it get it helps us to realize that there is that access to God that we can approach him in that way. And that he is our father, so he cares about what's going on in our life and he cares about, you know, the requests that we will bring to him, but at the same time, there is still that recognition of the fact that that he's the one who's in control, and there is a, a reverence that is there, and it's just coming with that balance of of that realization when we speak to him. I mean, I could speak all night about this, so I don't have that kind of time, but just to say, I mean, it, it is that right. I mean, sometimes we're so familiar with that we belittle and demean and fail to see the transcendence of God. And at the same time, he can be so far removed from us that we don't think that we can come near to him and make our requests known that he doesn't care about even the more personal things of our life. And there's so many ways in which he does meet our needs in very personal and intimate ways that, that are unique to each one of us. You know, and he's mindful of us that way. And so we need to acknowledge that when we come to him in prayer. But at the same time, we don't take advantage of that access to him and just sort of come to him flippantly in that. But it is it is good that I mean, he starts off with that balance and that because we need to have that when we approach him, because there are bigger things at hand, especially when we come to our our requests, then that changes what we ask for. A lot of times and it will change our attitude because a lot of times when we come to the Lord in prayer we need an attitude adjustment before we come in and address him and the things that we want to address oftentimes we'll find as we focus on who God is that we realize how insignificant the things that we were going to ask for are in relation to him and life and glorifying him and all of that 
Um, and it isn't to, to belittle things that we might pray for, but at the same time, it puts life and things in proper perspective as well as ourselves. And so I, it, I think it's so poignant that he begins that way of just setting our hearts and minds right before we even begin to ask for anything. Well, that's kind of what that, that entire opening line does. If, if Now yeah. that I'm looking at it, too, is that it starts with our Father, it starts with that intimate relationship, but then it says, who art in heaven? That reminder of there is not a distance, but there, in some ways there is a distance. Like we are on earth. He is in heaven. We yeah. are in two different places. We are two different beings. And then it goes into hallowed be thy name. Yeah. So it does. It starts with intimacy. It starts with a personal, close, loving relationship. But then it, then it sets the tone of, but you are in heaven, and and hallowed be your name, because you are above all. You are above me. Your will, your thoughts, your things are above mine. So it keeps that balance between, you know, it's not bringing God down to our level. Yeah. You know that that intimate our Father isn't bringing God down to our. Which I think there is a, there is sometimes that tendency where, you know. We want to focus on certain attributes of God that make him feel like he's more on the level playing field of us. Yeah. You know, because there is this sense of like, I don't know, like to think of a God that is above us and better, not yeah, better than us, you know, yeah. which, you know, it's just like he is greater than we are. Feels like. It does go. It goes against the the human way of wanting to look at things. We don't. We want to bring God down to our level. We want God. We don't want to feel like we are subservient or we are lesser than. But, um, but we are. You know that is just the fact of the matter. You know, and so it's very interesting how this opening line covers all bases, where it starts with this intimate relationship and this 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 almost like a level playing field of connection. Yeah. You know, where he humbles himself to bring himself down to a level where we can have an intimate relationship with him, but he is still above us, you know, and it is just because of his humility that he is willing to have this kind of relationship with us, but not because he is on our level of of our playing field or whatever, you know. And speaking of relationships, if I want to maintain a good one with your mother, I better go. Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, well, you know, it's unfortunate because we've really only gotten into the very first line. You no, know, but this it, is this is a good spot because it it's a good time to contemplate on the greatness of God. We don't want to speed past that and just go on to the request part. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And, and you know what? And maybe <laughs> maybe next episode we will uh, we will uh, <laughs> we should be intentional on. On jumping into the the, the, the topic um, sooner, but at the same time, I you know what I like I like I, I like the fact that you know the the first it's not like the first half of this podcast wasn't worthwhile and wasn't uh, worth talking about, and I think it set the tone nicely for coming into this. But um, but that is a good place to start, and I think that you know even taking it line by line, that that opening line has a lot to think about, and it, and it says a lot about. Like, like you said, there's a lot to chew on. Right? Before we, before we talk to God, understanding our relationship to Him, yeah. 
that will affect the entire way of how we address him is by actually knowing our relationship to him. So that is a good place to kind of sit with, to sit with that opening line. And and, um, and if you want practical advice, go to the Psalms to, to cultivate a high view of God. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, cool. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, I'm, you know, sad to wrap the episode up. You know, I've always, I, you know, I enjoy talking to you and I, I hope that everyone else is listening. Um, Aiden, I hope that, uh, you enjoy listening to us and, um, uh, yeah, sweet. Go ahead and spend some time with the, the with this section. If you guys are interested and in, really interested in diving into this, we'll be coming back to this next week and, um, we're reading out of Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, and then Luke, where does it start, Luke? Chapter 11, yep. Chapter 11. Yeah, first few verses. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, we will be back uh, in two weeks with some more, you know, just, uh, let's just say, spiritual insight. There we go. <laughs> From the two of us, so... Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. And-